This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and my guest today is Dr. Pessy Krauts from Jerusalem, and we have Dr. Les Glassman to thank for introducing us to each other. And Les said to me, you will really enjoy meeting Pessy. Well, Les, you were absolutely correct. We began to talk and we laughed like two old souls reuniting. So right now we've seen each other on the screen for the first time. And I feel as I know you already, Pessy. So welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Today is a particularly sad. Percy and I would like to dedicate this to all our soldiers who are fighting so bravely to keep our country going and keep us safe. And we also dedicate it to the hostages. But this poem was written by Dr. David Geffen. And Percy tells me he was a rabbi in the USA. He's a journalist for J Post and J Report. And he says, I'm Yisrael we cry. We mourn on the saddest of days. We cannot be silent as upon us this anguish weighs. Parents, wives, sisters, brothers send their loved ones out. Now they must deal with their deaths. That is what war is about. These young men went out to fight to give their all. Now they have been torn from us, just memories we recall. Weaponry of the deadliest type are in our hands. We never know where the explosion bringing death lands. I feel so alone, trying so hard their loss to explain. Deep down within all of us, such excruciating pain. We challenge the heavens. Oh, such a moment to meet. These young men, brave, wondrous, ever so sweet. Why does this happen as our brave and bold us protect? They are gone, Hashem. Indeed, they were so perfect. Tears fill our eyes, such, such sadness we must endure. For family, friends, all of us will never forget souls so pure. I'm going to have to leave a bit out. It's, he goes on to say, life is the one treasure which each of us possess filled with the love we generate and also our success, stolen away from these delicate, sweet souls. Let us remember them as the bell of their death tolls. Goodbye, goodbye. On the television, your faces we have all seen. How we wish you could bring, we could bring you back on your strength to lean. Mourn, my friends. Let anguish and hope somehow fill our heart. We stand erect. Salute you, such brave ones, as you depart. That was so moving and so beautiful. Thank you, Percy, for sending it. Now, let me introduce Percy to you. Actually, Sue, I must say that the soldiers actually fell today, this morning, during oh, the night. The, the early hours of this morning. I thought it was the early yes. evening. Yes. Uh-huh. And he wrote the poem this morning. Uh, mm. So, And I just got it and I'm send it to you. I'm so grateful to you that you're able to share this. Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful poem. And anyone who wants a copy of it, I think can can go on to David Geffen on Google, and I'm sure yes. it will be there. And you know, Gold in My Ear said, we hate war. We do not rejoice in victories. We rejoice when a new kind of cotton is grown and when strawberries bloom in Israel. Let that happen soon. 
Now, Amen. Betsy Krautz is a doctor and um, she's a psychotherapist. She got her PhD in uh, psychology and management consultant. She's a, the founder of 25 years of founder and singles programs, enhancing relationships. She lives in Jerusalem. She fled with her parents from Germany. She grew up in England, married, and then went to live in Israel. Uh, and she worked in the Jerusalem Ministry of Social Welfare as a consultant and a psychotherapist. She has the most fascinating story to tell. If you would like to see the, the podcast, the YouTube by Dr. Les Glassman, go on to Dr. Les Glassman, Percy Kratz, and you'll see her YouTube there. And you'll see she's got photographs on that of her parents. Now, Percy, tell me, right now, you escaped the Shah, the Holocaust, through a, an unbelievably difficult journey as a little tot. Um, and now you are facing the 7th of October massacre. Once again, this intergenerational trauma. And you did say in one of the messages that you sent me, that every single generation goes through something. What did you mean by that? Let me put it this way. On the 7th of October, which was Shabbat and Simchat Torah, mm. it was actually my Hebrew birthday. Was it? Yes. On the Friday evening before Erev Simchat Torah, it is customary to dance with the Sefer Torah. And I was in Rehovot, with my eldest son, Shimon, and his wife, Rebecca, and their children. And Friday night, we danced with the Sefer Torah. It was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And I was looking forward in the morning to going to shul again to celebrate Simchat Torah. It's the biggest birthday in the world. Everyone celebrates. But at quarter past six in the morning on that Shabbat, I heard what I thought was thunder. And I thought, oh, what a pity. It's going to rain. And that means that I will, I'll get all wet going to shawl. Anyway, there was another thunderclap and then there was a knock on my bedroom door and one of my grandchildren said, Safta Omi, Safta Omi. And they call me Safta Omi. Omi is after the grandmother I never knew. My mother's mother was Oma Omi and I only heard about her. So when I had my very first grandson, my middle son said, oh, you're Safta. I said, well, Safta doesn't have such a meaning. I said, well, he said, what would you like? I said, well, Oma or Omi. He said, let's make it Safta Omi. So that's it. Here they are, hanging on my door saying, Safta Omi, Safta Omi, quick, quick, come down to the shelter. And I thought they must be joking. What? I wasn't down in a shelter since 1940 when I managed to escape with my parents to England. And we actually had bombs in London already. So that this is, this is, anyhow, I put on my dressing gown. Luckily, I took a dressing gown with me to Rehovot and down three flights of stairs into a bomb shelter. And there we were, shuddering and shaking one after the other. Then came a siren. So we were able to go back into the house. This happened three times. The third time that it happened, some of the neighbors also came in. I must have sort of like re-experienced the trauma, which I never actually recognized as a child. I, I never recognized having any trauma. There was no post-traumatic stress disorder idea then. 
But this time, on this occasion, the third time, I was shaking and trembling and they put their arms around me, the family, and gave me a drink of water. Slowly, slowly, I calmed down and lots of other people came into the shelter. And my daughter-in-law, Rebecca, said to me, Pessie, don't you go to yoga? I mean, everybody was traumatized. I said, yes. She said, well, how about doing it? How about doing a yoga exercise with us? Oh, wow. I said, right. So I said to everybody, now, put your hands gently by your sides. Everyone was standing. And I said, now, very, very gently, take a deep breath while you count five. Hold it for five. Very gently, breathe out. Open your eyes. Put your hands on your shoulders. Gently raise your shoulders. Gently allow them to draw down and put your... Anyhow, I did a whole yoga exercise, oh, believe it or wonderful. not. Oh, look at that strength that you found within yourself. You know, it reminds me of, of something that Angela Duckworth said. Uh, just let me think what it was. She said, each of us enriches the environment of all of us. And that's exactly what you did in the bomb shelter. Isn't that marvelous? Good heavens. And how long were you down there for? Since you mentioned that each generation goes through its own trauma, I think that we were down there each time, maybe for 20 minutes, half an hour, something like that. And one of the people said that Golda Meir, which you quoted, said she really, one of the reasons she could not forgive having to go to war was having to sacrifice our young men. She said this was really so... I think that people down in the bomb shelter, we started to share ideas and thoughts. And I think when we came out for the very first... Percy, just hang on a sec. Just go back a step. Did you know what was happening at that stage or were you in the dark still about what was happening? No, we didn't know. We did not know what was happening until what happened, what my... the eldest son of Shimon and Rebecca, Noam, he had a smartphone. Now, that smartphone had been buzzing. Uh, As I went past my bedroom during that Shabbat, I heard it buzzing. Um, And I said to Noam, you know, your phone's buzzing. Oh, he said, well, you know what? During the day, I get sent all kinds of adverts and so on. Motzei Shabbat. When he looked at his cell phone, he said, oh, we're at war and I've been called up. And he was called up in just the Shabbat clothes that he was standing up in. His father had to drive him because during the day, all the other soldiers that had read their messages had gone to a base and been gathered together. But Shimon had to drive him to the center where he was supposed to be. And that's how many, many were called up on that Shabbat, just with the clothes they were standing up in. We'll get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program, and my guest today is Dr. Percy Kraus, and we are talking about many, many issues, but mostly we're talking about the Holocaust, 
Pacey's own story, but how right now she's had to relive a lot of her story because of what is happening in Israel since the 7th of October, the Hamas massacre by those monsters. Pacey, I'm back with you again. So you then, he went off and you remained there. And yes, when were you allowed out of the shelter? When did you go back into your own home, uh, your room? Yes, well, that's a very, so the third time, then there was the all clear. So to speak, they tell you 10 minutes after a siren, after an alert is the all clear. Right. The all clear, up we went. Now, I'm in Rehovot. I would like to go home to Jerusalem. But there were rockets, there were uh, alarms. But I said to the children, you know, I've been through this before. In London, when we finally, finally got to London after escaping from uh, on Kristallnacht and Dunkirk, which I'll tell you about perhaps. I said there, there we had the doodle bugs and there each time these flying bombs in London in 1942 fell, I remember walking along with my mother and we would hear this and then silence and then somewhere there would be a bomb falling. So at that point we used to have to dive into the entrance of a house or somewhere so that we could be sheltered. So so I said to Shimon, I said, look here, if we see that there is a lull, do you feel confident enough to try to take me to Jerusalem? So his daughter, Ayelet, their, their, their daughter, she is actually in the regular army where she's a cyber expert. She's an officer in cyber. And she was had had a short few hours leave. Uh, since then, she's been working practically day and night, giving information uh, to, to, to the troops for three months. And so she said, you know what, I'll come, I'll come along with you, Abba, and we'll, we'll take stuff to owe me home. And so my daughter-in-law picked me up. She always gives me chicken and I don't know, rice, enough for a, a Enough of the whole troops, I would say. So she packed me up and off we went. And about 10 minutes out of Rehovot, there was a siren. We had to park the car, ran as quickly as we could into the doorway of a building. Ayelet ran round the corner and, and Shimon, her father, said, come back, come back. Anyhow, wherever it fell, it fell. Then there was the all clear. And finally, Ayelet came back round the side of the building where she had gone and we held one another in our arms, and I could feel her heart beating ten to the dozen on my on mine, heart to heart. I love her so much. She's she's just anyway. So, and the youngest son is in the submarines. By the way, he's just been discharged. Yeah. From the this is this is typical Jewish family in Israel, yeah. more or less. So, so then I did get back to Jerusalem that very same night, and from then on, we've had quite a few scares here in Jerusalem but mm. I live in a in a small block I'm on the seventh floor and we were told exactly what to do if there happened to be an alarm and we have met our neighbors in the hallway and is, the, in is fact, your bomb shelter the the hallway your yes. bomb shelter uh, yes <laughs> so you've hallway. got to know each other yes there's a, there's a plus to it gosh isn't yes. that amazing thanks and the upstairs neighbours have got little children who were terrified. They came down to floor seven from floor eight. Well, I have in my just inside 
in my cupboard, I have the toys all in wait for my grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So I was able to quickly come in quickly and find a couple of toys and take them out and play with them, play with the children on the stairs. So oh, they were so sweet that you thought of that. That's lovely, Percy. The thought Thank of it you. playing on the steps. You know, you said that about your Omi being called Safta Omi. And I love the story that you wrote about Omi's uh, spoon. I read that and it was just too beautiful. It reminded me of my own grandchild. That's something that she holds on to. She, they live in Renana. And she is, at the time, she was five and a half when this started, the war started. And she, of course, they had to go into the bomb shelter. She hates a siren. And the one day she phoned and she looked very pale and very shaken. And she said, Safta, I've got you around my neck. And she had a, 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 we had made them this blanket with all our faces, on, you know, pictures on. And I could imagine my, myself being scrunched up, put around her neck. You know, it was a comforting thought for me and yes. for her. Percy, let's get back to your actual story. You left Germany. How old were you at that stage? Well, I can't say I left Germany because the first thing that happened, I, I was born in 1937 and as a babe in arms on Kristallnacht on November the 8th, 1938, when we lived in Leipzig in Germany. And right. my, right, and on Kristallnacht, there were the stormtroopers knocking on all the doors, the Judenraus, all the Jews out. They knew exactly where the Jews were. So my mother and father popped me into their arms. I was a little, I was a little baby and ran upstairs to non-Jewish neighbors and begged them to hide us. And the non-Jewish neighbor said, if you, this baby cries and we hide you, our life, if the Nazis hear that baby our lives will not be worth living either. We will be taken. And my mother promised that I wouldn't cry. And just for once, I didn't put my mouth open at all. I just That's shut true. up. And they hid us, pushed us into a bedroom wardrobe full of clothes. I don't remember it, but I think I can feel it. And my mother and father, in we went. And the dog troopers knocked on the door. They said, where are the Markoviches in German? Of course. And that was our family name then. And the non-Jewish neighbors stood at the entrance to the door. My mother told me, as cool as a cucumber, and they said, Markovich, they left long ago. And the stormtroopers stood and hesitated. Should they search their flat or should they leave? And they left. Oh, my word. But your father was a very tall man. So to be stuck in that little, you know, the thought of him being stuck in a little uh, uh, cupboard is, is yeah. unbelievable with his wife and yes. baby. And you didn't yes. cry at all. And then no. from there, what happened from there? So, well, the next day, as you say, my father was tall, but he was also very resourceful. And he had been successful in the fur trade because he'd left Germany when but he'd left Poland when he was 17 in order to escape the uh, Polish army which you know 35 years if you go into the Polish army you're there for 35 years at that time 
And so he and many other young Jewish lads at the age of 17 went to Leipzig where there was a fur centre and they learnt all different aspects of the fur trip. We'll get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on 101.9 High FM Radio. And I'm on, on the Finding Human program. My guest today is Dr. Pessy Kratz uh, in Jerusalem, and it's raining there apparently, but it's so nice to we are seeing each other face to face, which is wonderful. And Pessy is telling me about when uh, they left Germany. Her father had left Poland, first of all, and her father was a tall man, and at one stage some righteous Gentiles hid them in their cupboard for a very short while. And then the next day, you were going to tell me what happened the next day after the cupboard. Mm -hmm. Right. So we had been stuffed into the clothes cupboard, but the very next day, Kristallnacht was not over. The next morning, the Jews were being forced to sweep up the broken glass, you know, which had been broken, and they were on the streets, dead, many of them. And my father went out and he realized if we do not get out of Leipzig, our lives will be end, will end. So he found a um, farmer who was traveling between towns with hay and he managed to persuade him. As I said, my father had managed also to be successful in business in the fur trade. So he was able to, 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 to offer him a substantial sum of money to take my mother and me in this cart next to him as though we're his wife and baby. And uh, he spoke Flemish. So my mother had to learn. She spoke German and French and English, but she had to learn in Flemish in case they were stopped. Ich bin die Frau von dieser Mann und wir gehen die Tante besuchen. You know, we're going, we're, I'm his wife and my baby, we're going to visit our auntie. What and that's how... What woman your mother was, eh? Well, yes. And so that's how on that... On that card, yes, you. we got to Belgium, we got to Antwerp, and my father made his own way there. How he made his own way there, I've never discovered. I never asked, you know, as a child, you're just happy to be alive, I think, and you don't think of asking, How did yeah. you make it there, daddy? Anyway, there we were, and my father was again successful in business, and my mother said to him, You know, Aaron. This is not a good idea. The Nazis will follow us. And my father said, Gina, again, no, never. They will not follow. We're going to be okay here. Well, of course, he didn't listen to her. And in 1940, they saw in the night truckloads of Jews being carted off along the main street, one on top of the other. Mm. And my mother and father said, now what are we going to do? Antwerp was a port, but because my father had said nothing will happen, we never thought of getting on a ship and leaving in a normal way. So my mother said, Aaron, wherever there is water, there is hope. There is water on the shores of Dunkirk. We are going to get to Dunkirk. And they literally, literally, my, my, my mother said she saw my father looking around this flat that they had with the beautiful paintings and tapestries. And she she's not wasn't a very patient woman particularly, but she said, 
Let him look. It will be the last time he ever sees them. And it was. Anyhow, I was wearing a siren suit. A siren suit is like a very big baby grow, all in one with leggings and a zip. And at that time, men also wore these. Churchill wore one over his clothes when he was the war minister. So you can always look up, yes, a siren suit. So I was in mine. My father was in his. My mother was dressed always very smartly. And in her handbag, she put our papers. He put me on his shoulders. He was, he had a gray felt hat, a sort of, a, sort of like a, you know, a sort of a, a felt hat where I could put my head on and doze a little bit. And my my mother closed the door, bye-bye, and we started running, running, running. I was jogging up and down on my father's shoulders, and, and, and I don't remember eating or drinking or sleeping or anything. I only you, remember jogging. Do you remember being afraid at all? No, not at all. But my mother, she couldn't keep up with my father. So, but I heard her say to him in German, of course, Aaron, Aaron, don't go so fast. The child is sleeping. But I knew it was because she couldn't keep up with him. <laughs> but, you know, anyhow, on the way, Sue, um, a number of miracles happened. And at one point, everybody was, hundreds of people, hundreds were running hither and thither. I do remember booming, booming, bombs dropping and lots of, lots of people around. And they said, I don't remember them saying this, but my mother told me that they said, where are you going? Where are you going? And she said, we're going to Dunkirk. And they said to her in French, Dunkirk, you're crazy. The port is on fire. And my mother said, in French, de port de feu. So my mother said, where there's water, there is hope. And we kept going. But at one point, there was a huge aircraft hangar empty and hundreds of people flopped down. I don't remember this, but my mother's cousin mentioned that we'd all gone just for a brief rest, hundreds into this hangar. When all of a sudden, my father stood up, put me on his shoulders and pulled my mother up. He said, come. And on the other side was a sort of a small lake, which my father could jump right over with me on his shoulder. Everybody, body, when he stood up, body in the hangar stood up yeah. and walked and jumped and waded through the lake to the other side. When they all got, when we got to the other side, there was a direct hit on that hangar. Oh, good heaven. What a miracle. So, you miss that. Oh, a miracle. So the next miracle, I suppose you could call it, was that we finally, finally got to the shores of Dunkirk, where if anybody's ever seen, I've only seen the trailer of the film called Dunkirk. And the British soldiers were, you know, Belgium retreated from Nazi Germany, it caved in, and the British soldiers that were there defending had to retreat as well. And Churchill called it the Battle of the Small Boats, and he and he broadcast, we will beat them on the beaches, we will beat them in the trenches, every little boat must come to rescue the British troops. So it was called the it was called the Battle of the Hundred Little Ships of the Hundreds of Little Ships. So we were landed, we got onto the beaches and we just flopped into a sand dune. As far as I remember, we just flopped into a sand dune. But there must be more to it than that, which I'll tell you perhaps later. 
And then what are we going to do? So my parents saw a British officer going past. So my father quickly put me on his shoulders. He said to my mother, let's ask him if he'll pop us on a boat. So my mother spoke fortunately English. And she said, will you take us, please, on a boat? And he said, impossible, madam. We are evacuating the British troops. And off he went. We flopped down again into the sand. And my father saw another officer. So in his best Polish Yiddish, he said to my mother, Irina, free game, free game. Let's ask this one. So popped me on his shoulders. And my mother stood by my side with my father. And she went up to this officer and she said, would you take us? Impossible, madam. We're evacuating the British troops. And just before he left, my mother noticed he had a gun in a holster on his belt and she managed to pull the gun out and held it to my head. He turned round and she said, if you do not take us, I shoot my child, my husband and myself before your eyes. And the British officer managed to retrieve the gun, fortunately, before it went off. And he picked before me up. Blew your, my... face, your head apart. Oh, oh my exactly. word. And then? Well, I, he picked I remember up. being, yes, he, he picked me up off my father's shoulders and ran. And my mother and father followed and we ran and ran. And he dropped me deep into a little boat. And my mother and father clambered after. And now, Sue, I remember something I haven't remembered for a long, long time. My father tried to hold my hand. His hand was icy cold. My hand was icy cold. And I let go of his hand and I started dancing and singing down the aisle of that boat. A little German song. And I remember being... How old were you then? About I wasn't quite... Not quite two and a half. Oh, my word, how cute. Yeah. <laughs> and did they love it? Did the troops in the boat love you? Yes, they saw smiles. They were piled oh. high, one on top of the other. They weren't sitting in a normal manner. And they were smiling down and patting me on the head. Oh. You know, not long ago, one of my great-grandsons had his arm around me, patted me on the head in the same spot. Sue, I'm telling you, it's this is my soft spot, it seems, because nobody's ever patted me on the head. But that's going four generations later. But look, uh, what just, the body, just, look what the body absorbs, you know. If you, I mean, that was a lovely feeling. But, you know, if you think about the negativity that you also ab- absorb going through our lives, you know, uh, yes. whether it's through touch or word, whatever it is. Hmm. Yes, oh, Yes. And then, so, so where did you end up from the uh, the boat? Where did the boat well, take we, you? But the boat took us to Dover, and um, we didn't actually have any papers because they all dropped out of my mother's bag. So my father was considered a spy. He didn't speak English. He didn't speak. He didn't speak German that well. He spoke Yiddish. He didn't. Sp- so they thought he must be a spy, and they put him into jail. Oh, and my word. Uh, yes. And and my mother and I were on the Isle of Man. That's a place where many German and Polish and uh, dis- people who were refugees but were called enemy aliens because they had no no papers. papers. We were all there. Yes, mm-hmm. we were all there. 
So we were on the Isle of Man. We got to safety. I read your article on the the Isle of Man. If anyone wants to pick up Percy's articles, go onto Google, look up Percy Krause. It's K-R-A-U-S-Z. And you'll see the different, uh, for Ezra magazine that she's written, and some lovely, you wrote one about the soldiers, but I'm, I'm actually diverting away from our subject. We'll get back to that shortly. This is Finding Human with Sue Jackson, only on 101.9 High FM. Hello, this is Sue Jackson on the Finding Human program. My guest today is Dr. Percy Kraus. She was, uh, she knee Markovitz, and we're talking about many subjects actually, but more about her trip, her, her as a little girl leaving Leipzig, going to England, and she fled from Germany. She grew up in England and eventually married and moved to Israel. But in the meantime, when you were in England, when did you reconnect with your dad? What happened, somebody vouched for my father that he was not a spy after about six or eight months, I think it must have been. Long as that. Yes. Um, And somehow or other, I don't know how or why, we were reunited in a place called Bletchley, Kinghamshire. And I remember holding my mother's hand as a little girl, and there were houses in England in Bletchley, cheek by jowl, tall houses all stuck together. And we went from house to house, knocking on the door, saying, have you got a room? And the door would bang, one after the other, no juice here, no juice here. Well, I couldn't speak English, so I said to my mother, mummy, but it does no juice here. So she clapped her hand on my mouth. Be quiet. Finally, finally, a family called Alderman said, yes, we've got a room up in the attic. So we went up into the attic and it was like a palace. There was a double bed, a little bed for me, a small sink, a small table and a view out onto the allotments. In England, people would grow vegetables at the back garden. It was called an allotment. So they grew certain things and it had a little path and it had a washing line. And that's where my mother would stand at the sink with the ribes and, you know, with one of these boards and wash the clothes on this board but she couldn't do it on a Monday because Mrs Markovich Monday is my wash day you better do it on a Tuesday so never mind never on a Tuesday it was always on a Tuesday (laughs) and my mother you have any relationship with these people who had taken you in well they were not Jewish and they had a child called Jean and another child called Brian and I think by osmosis And playing with those children, I absorbed English because Mm. not very long afterwards, I spoke English and German. Yes. So, but unfortunately, I never knew at that time that there were righteous Gentiles and people who would save you. You know, as a child growing up, our main aim was to survive, just to learn to be to be independent, not to depend on anybody else for our livelihood. So I knew nothing at all about, you know, trying to, but these alderman people were just saints. And all I know is their name. And even, I never even went back to Bletchley. I don't even know the name of the road. So 
unfortunately, the same as with my parents. There are many things. I never asked my mother how she came to speak so many languages, how she came to play the piano like a dream. I do know that she was studying um, opera and voice in the Dresden. She was born in Dresden, in the Dresden Academy of Music, and that she was extremely talented. She knew whole operas and operettas off by heart. And she'd sit at the piano, come she gone, come she gone, spiel mir was, you, you know, inherited that voice. You inherited it. Just to Casey, were your parents religious Jews? Were they, uh, did you, when you got to uh, England, did, were you able to practice Judaism? So I'll tell you what happened. My father came from a traditional home. My mother came from a rabbinic home. Now, as I said, when we were rescued by miracles, my father became what I would call Ish Emuna. He had a lot of faith. My mother, who lost her sister and her parents and nieces and nephews, she kept everything, but it was a different way. Now, I mentioned that we were in Bletchley. My father began to earn some money. And I remember him saying to my mother, Gina, here is the first money I have earned. Please go and buy a pair of candlesticks for Shabbat, Shabbos, he said. And I remember going along with her along a high road in Bletchley of all places, and we bought candlesticks. Now, the next time, he about a month or so later, he said, Gina, here is money. I want you to go and buy a becha for Kiddush, a goblet for making Kiddush. And I remember, Sue, going with my mother to that shop. My nose reached the top of the counter oh, so I could God. just see what was happening. So he presented my mother, he showed her, this goblet, this little oh, goblet. Good heavens. So this is the goblet. And my mother said, well, what about something to put under it? So he showed her a number of things. And then he showed her this round bowl. dish, a little gold, a little silver bowl, little with scallops round the edge. Yes, I see that. <laughs> right. Beautiful. So my mother said to him, my mother said to him, it's very nice, but I don't like the scallops. So he said to her, don't worry, madam, they'll come out in time. Uh, <laughs> how many years ago was that? <laughs> well, even as a child, I mean, I wasn't even four. But even then I knew those scallops, how can those scallops come stay. out? <laughs> and they oh. stayed all these years and they're now, here with me. Tell me about so, your mom. Yes. I know you mentioned your mom's dad and Tefillin. Why don't you just yes. tell that story? Because I found that a very moving story. So my mother's parents were of Polish origin, but they were living uh, in Poland, but they came to visit my parents on one occasion. And they passed through a border this is the story that my mother told me. And the grandparents, her parents, my mother's parents, did not have... The officer came onto this bus and he looked at everybody's papers. 
And he said, oh, my parents had the right papers. I'm not sure if it was nationalistic or what the were papers, but my grandparents did not have the right papers. And he threw them off the bus. And my grandfather, elderly man with a long white beard, my mother said the last time she saw him, he was running after the bus saying, my tefillin, my tefillin. I've left my tefillin on the bus. And that was the last time she saw her parents. How tragic. I assume my parents rescued the tefillin. But any time, any time I see children and adults with tefillin, which is quite often, for me, it's the most moving, moving feeling. And thinking of my poor grandfather and my grandparents, what they went through. But we have to, my my mother was a person who never looked back. You, you would never hear my mother complain about anything. And when times were difficult, she actually started a little agency to bring au pairs to her friends because she spoke several languages. She was always, she was resilient, really. Very resilient. Gosh. Mm. Yes. Yes. You're amazing. Did she lose a lot of family in the Holocaust? Well, she lost her sister and she lost her her brother's wife, Sarah Browner. Her her brother, Leo Langerman, managed to escape. He was the youngest prosecuting lawyer in Berlin at the age of 33. But he had to escape. Uh, It's a very, there's a very sad story about his daughter and his wife did not unfortunately survive. So my mother and my father lost two sisters and his parents. And his father, he told me, was on the death march with two, my two little grandchildren that were my father's sister's grandchildren walking along on the death march. And he didn't have enough bread to feed them. And he said they all died of starvation on the death march. Mm. So, you know, but if you were to see my parents, I can show you photos where you saw in the article, you saw some photos. They were the most positive people. They made something out of nothing. They created and my father and mother helped other people. So maybe that's where I got a lot of it from. The idea... Yes. Would you say it's the Jewish spirit that that makes you go on? It's almost an intergenerational, not the trauma, but the intergenerational resilience that says we will survive, which is being tested right now every single day. That's right. And and Pessy, did you have any siblings? Did your parents have more children? I I had a brother when we got to England, but unfortunately he wasn't very well. And after a number, he was lovely. He came to Israel before Aubrey Marks. He changed his name from Markovich. He shortened it to Marks. And we were the most devoted brother and sister. And I was four and a half years older. And I remember looking after him. I remember taking him with me everywhere to B'nai Akiva. If ever he had a cold and he didn't come, people say, where's your little brother? Where's your little brother? And a lot of people here in Jerusalem were either in the same class or they were uh, they knew him from B'nai Akiva. And they auto, in fact, in fact, Sue, this 
last few days um, in Elat, there's a beautiful music festival. They haven't held it for four years because of Corona and because of the war. And they reinstated it. And on that occasion, somebody who was on the bus on this said he knew my brother and my brother was in was at um some some sort of a holiday school in the mm -hmm. holiday and he practiced um all kinds of things like hypnotherapy and i never knew i had no idea he had practiced hypnotherapy <laughs> but he did so how, old all was he when, how old was he when he passed away Yes, almost 60, but he never married. So our fa that he also played the piano like a dream. Absolutely. Agree. Yes, yeah. he had a lot in common with my mother. They played chess together. Wonderful. Casey, I'm actually being told to wrap up. You're not going to believe it, but we've actually been on air for about 50 minutes. I'm going to definitely have you back on again because there's so much to talk about and also to talk about Israel. You know, I think you've got so much to share that, that can help people through what we're going through now. And um, Victor Frankl actually said, and I'll read this, just wait one moment. Forces beyond your control can take away everything you possess except one thing, your freedom to choose how you will respond to the situation. And that was Viktor Frankl. And just listening to you, you very definitely choose how you respond to each situation. And we will be together again soon. I will be in contact with you. Would you like to come back on? <laughs> Well, I would be honoured to be back on, Sue. It's oh, been really a wonderful, really. And I, it's been wonderful to share. And it would be really wonderful to say how I married Neville because we both wanted to come to Israel. That was one of the main things. And we finally made it following our eldest son who came on his own at the age of 16. So there's a oh, lot to tell you about. Absolutely. That. And then I also want to hear about your grandchildren. And uh, oh. I mean, they are protecting our homeland right now. That's right. Quite right. Yes. May they and, be my, safe, and my grandsons-in-law. I have three grandsons and three grandsons-in-law protecting us. Mm. May they be safe and you keep safe and I'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much, Pessy. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Thank, Thank you, Vusna.